What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to the Chaos Ball podcast. I'm coming at you live in the middle of a hurricane in Southern California. It's not. It's it's not actually a hurricane. It's a tropical storm. It's just raining. Uh, you know what else is surging like a storm? The Seattle Mariners. The Seattle baseball Mariners. As we speak, right now, six-game win streak. Half a game up in the third wildcard spot. Half a game back from the Houston Astros for the second wildcard spot. And three and a half back of the AL West lead. Crazy that we're even considering that in late August. But here we are. The lads are cooking. They just swept Houston in a very bizarre third game of the series today on Sunday. Very strange one. I don't think I've ever seen a series go that well in Houston. Like, all the breaks were going our way. The Astros were getting mad, as per usual. Uh, but today, especially after they uh, they gave up a chunk of the lead, I really thought it was they were going to blow it completely. It seemed like a game that they'd lose in Houston, but no. But no. Surprisingly not a very cursed series down there. And uh, they complete the sweep. They complete their six-game win streak. And God, they're they're in a playoff position, but it's so close. It's one of those years too. It's gonna be like last year where the third wildcard spot might be the most advantageous wildcard spot. Um, because the third wildcard team this year will play the winner of the AL Central again, most likely the winner of the AL Central. I guess it's not set in stone yet, but I don't see the twins leapfrogging the division winners of either the AL East or the AL West at this point. But essentially, the winner of the third wildcard spot gets to play the Twins this year. If the Twins don't blow the division lead, and they are going to honestly kind of waltz into that division victory. They're 65-60, and 60, six games ahead of the Guardians, who are 59-66. and 66. And then the Detroit Tigers, 57-67, and 67, right behind them, have better playoff odds, according to ESPN, uh, than the Angels and the Yankees right now, which is pretty awesome. But that that is how the lads are doing. I mean, I'm buzzing. What an absolute series that was. Uh, after a bizarre, bizarre, weird, cursed four-game set in Kansas City, you could have told me we lost all of those games. You could have told me we mopped them in Kansas City. And I wouldn't have batted an eye at either. You could have told me that two of the games didn't count and had to be called off for nefarious activities because those games were absolutely insane. And I'll, I'll go game by game a little bit in a second, but just I never want the team to go back to Kansas City ever again. And I, they won three of four there, and I just don't want to go back. It's a good thing we play the Royals again uh, this week in Seattle. Hopefully, since it's in Seattle, things will go better or be less chaotic, but I have a feeling that isn't going to happen. Uh, but we'll, we'll see. We'll see what happens. But what I got for you all today, going to talk about the Royals series a little bit. Emerson Hancock made his debut. We have a man named Julio Rodriguez doing absolutely sinister things on the baseball field to other teams' pitchers. Uh, we'll be discussing the bullpen a little bit. I'll be discussing Matt Brash. Uh, I have 
some stuff to say about the Houston series, not as much to say about that as the Kansas City, uh, and then talking a little bit about the Rays potentially at the end of the episode, and uh, a baseball reference part of the week, a very fun name, a little bit of lore to him, and then also checking in with a former Mariner. I will be checking in with a former Mariner at the end of the episode as well, once we're done with the current Mariners talk, but let's just get into it. They're on a six-game win streak. What they did since the last podcast, well, they went to Kansas City. That's what happened. They went to Kansas City. They lost the first game, and they won the next three going into the Houston series. Just, just terrible. Just a terrible series to watch, despite them winning. I just, I don't know how else to describe, to describe it. Uh, some of the worst pitching I've seen from this team since this, maybe the whole year for a, a complete series, honestly, like they, it might be one of their worst pitch series of the year. Maybe like I'm thinking like the Minnesota series, they gave up a lot of runs weirdly enough. Um, Texas early on, like Brian Wu's debut, they gave up like 15 in that game, but like overall, it was just, it was consistent. It felt like a consistent onslaught from that Royals lineup. Like, they were constantly on base. That team is, they have some some fast fellas on that team, and just shit was not going correct. But I think what normalized and why the Mariners even got three dubs of that series is one, the offense is cooking, two, the Royals pitching is bad. Specifically, their bullpen. Garbage. They had to use so many bullpen arms, and I consider myself very plugged into the game of baseball uh and i can i probably know a lot more names than the average person on a baseball team the royals kept putting in pitchers that i had never heard of in my entire life and they seemed like a lot of them seemed like creative players who they just called up from triple a and like i be the show and they're created by i the show and they're like 70 one overall with no face and very mid stats. That's what their whole bullpen felt like, especially since they've traded away um, Scott Barlow and Aroldis Chapman. I just don't, I don't know really anyone in their bullpen. Like Tucker Davidson is a name that rings somewhat of a bell. Taylor Hearn, maybe eh, not many other guys. They just kept throwing, they just kept throwing dudes out there to pitch. And as the games got later in the game, as the games got, that didn't make any sense. As uh, as it got later in the game and like closer, and some like they went to extra innings, they'd use more bullpen arms. And when it got to the battles of the bullpen, luckily, the Mariners eked out a few wins. Not by the skin of their freaking teeth, though. I just so the, the first game, the first game that that happened, unfortunately, when they took the L, it was one of the worst L's of the season. Just from a standpoint of they were rolling before this, and they go to Kansas City, and Kansas City's not good, and Logan Gilbert has a uncharacteristically bad start. Taylor Sacedo gives up runs, which he's not one to do much this year, uh, and then they they eke it out. They go into the bottom of the ninth with the lead after getting six runs in the eighth inning, and the ninth inning combined, they get four in the eighth, and two in the ninth they hand it off to our new closer slash maybe maybe Munoz is a closer Matt Brash Matt Brash blows the save gets the L and they lose the first game of the series just deflating 
just very deflating uh, because they were rolling and then they lose to this Kansas City Royals team that was 38-81 and at the time of that game. Matt Brash blew a save. There's a lot of, oh, wow, well, wish they kept seawall discourse. Um, I'm going to wait to talk about the bullpen, but uh, there was a lot of Brash talk this week, which I don't care for. And uh, they let Bertie Singer savage them that game and then and then got more runs on their uh, from their bullpen. Bertie Singer went seven and a third that game, two earned runs, eight Ks. When I was doing my Royals preview, that is is kind of more not that every game, but I was expecting Brady Singer to be closer to um, a four ERA this year instead of closer to five with games like this. But it just takes the Mariners coming to town sometimes to to get that ERA up. But they go into the second game with uh, Emerson Hancock's debut. And it was a fine debut. I mean, he went five innings, gave up nine hits, five earned, one strikeout. It's like it's not, you know, it wasn't the debuts we saw of, um, of Bryce Miller. But it was better than the debut of Brian Wu. But Brian Wu, we all gave a pass because that Rangers offense was hammering everyone at that point. This debut was like, okay, we saw his stuff. We saw how like what type of pitcher he is, uh, and it was it was good to see him finally in the bigs. I he was drafted only a couple years ago, but it felt like he's been in the org for a long time. And I think it's because so many pitchers have bypassed him on the way to the bigs. Uh, like we saw Kirby make his debut before. And then we saw Wu and Bryce Miller and even like Perlander Barroa, Isaiah Campbell, guys like that all make their debut before him, which felt weird because uh, he was first round pick, but he had dealt with injuries uh, and wasn't exactly lighting double A on fire, but he had a good year this year. They need him. I think he can be a fifth to sixth guy going forward. Uh, unfortunately, today he exited the game with a shoulder sprain, I think, which, boy, I hope he's not out for an extended period of time. Luckily, they're getting Wu back, but it sounded like they were going to go with a six-man rotation, which is probably out the door now if he's even on the, like, 15-day, which kind of blows. But that debut was fine. It It was good, and then he gave up a very very large home run to Bobby Witt in the fifth inning, uh, a grand salami type of home run on a pitch that probably wasn't the best pitch, let's be honest. Um, but I thought his stuff was pretty good. He's going to lean on that changeup. That's been his best pitch. His fastball is good. Uh, it's a good pitch, partially because he he's he skews closer to George Kirby than like Logan Gilbert or like Bryce Miller, where he's going to throw a lot of strikes. Um, and sometimes it's going to come back to bite him in the ass. He doesn't quite have the stuff Kirby does, especially the velocity. But if he can locate that fastball up, like he'll be fine. But my issue is it's not the highest velocity fastball. So if you leave it lower in the zone and it kind of sits there for a little bit, it's not going to dip out of the zone. It's going to be a lot easier for hitters to just whack that like Bobby Witt did. But uh, the changeup was good. I I don't think he looked like – he didn't look like a rookie making his day. Like, he looked fairly comfortable out there, I thought. Um, and overall, he pitched two good innings today before coming out. So I, I'm, I'm confident in him going forward that he's going to be like a league average starter – I don't know what his ceiling is. His ceiling might be like third, fourth, 
best pitcher on a on a good team with the Mariners. Like his his ceiling might be the sixth best at this point. Uh, but I I didn't hate what I saw. They ended up taking the dub in this game too, ten to eight over the Royals. Just like God, it it they blew another save. That you go into this game. And you're like, okay, we score a lot of runs, and then it is going into the bottom of the ninth, and they are winning eight to five. And then you bring in Andres Munoz, and Andres Munoz, you're surely like, eh. So maybe Munoz is not the closer. Matt Brash, you blew a save last night. Munoz, nope, blown save for Andres Munoz. More should have kept Seawall discourse ensues on Twitter. Thankfully, they get two in the tenth. And Taylor Saucedo closes the game out, gets the first save of his career, and thank God we won that game. If they had lost this game, they put up a seven spot in the fourth, give up five in the fifth, and then that ninth happens, and then they eventually win the tenth. But if they lost this game after 7-0 in the fifth inning, after losing the first game of the series, I was ready to... Not cancel the season. I was ready to do something bad. That would have been a freaking terrible, terrible loss in Kansas City. It would have felt too appropriate. Uh, Ty France had four hits in this game. Ty Oscar went five for five in this game. Julio, um, this was before his insane tear he went on, but he still had a good series those first couple games. This... Royals offense just felt like a swarm of bees. It, they that's all they felt like. Just weaponized bees that entire series, but they get the dub. Thank God they got that dub. They go into game 3 and at this point I think is when I tweeted something like like this team it happened last year, it happened the year before. When when the calendar turns to August, it just feels like the chaos gets ramped up for this team in particular. Uh not only does it get more, you know, squeaky, squeaky time in August and September just because you're trying to make a playoff push and a lot of teams are trying to do the same thing. But this team specifically feels like I don't know what they're going to give me on a game-to-game basis in a very frighteningly beautiful kind of way where they they ended up winning again in this game, this third game of the series, but the game, the two games prior just is like I don't... It's just a mixed bag. It's just a mystery box of chaotic baseball is what this Mariners team is because they come out this next game they put up three in the first one in the second and it's only four to three by the fifth inning it felt like another one of those games where it's like ah something could go wrong luckily who this is when Julio started this is when it started he goes four for six this game with two RBIs he hits a home run and it's just is just sparking sparking the offense Oh God! Looking back, it's just ridiculous. the The game ends up um, tied. The game it ends up tied going into the eighth because, of course, they get one in the eighth. The Mariners do one in the eighth, one in the ninth. Uh, they give up another one in the ninth just to make things interesting. Uh, Matt Brash came in again, gave up a leadoff dinger in the ninth just to keep us honest. But ends up getting the save anyway. I think that was his way of just uh, shouting out to the fans. He's like, you guys doubt me? Look what I can do. Bang. Lead off home run in the ninth. Transition right into a save. Bada bing, bada boom. Going into game four. I I still was just... I, I had no thoughts. Especially going into game four. And then... 
Julio Rodriguez decided to go five for five and hit a home run in the eighth inning. That let me just do some calculations here. The Royals had four runs. We had two, two on. Julio hits a home run. That's three. Makes it what five to four? Yes. Take he he hits a home run to cap off a five for five day in the eighth to put us up five to four. This was the Julio game where he was the offense. He had five RBIs of the six runs that we had. He had the huge dinger that just swayed the whole game. Matt Brash, closer Matt Brash, came in, got a very sound, non-dramatic save in a very uncharacteristically George Kirby start. Give up a lot of hard contact, a lot of hits. Didn't walk anyone, just was giving up. Like The Royals were just seeing him really well that game. Luckily, Julio was there to pick literally everyone up. Uh, after we allowed Angel Zerpa to have a career start, four innings, six Ks, one earned. And then, thank God their bullpen had to pitch a lot of this game because Angel Zerpa was cooking. But who, this is the Julio game. So he goes four, four, four the game four, then five for five. And it's like, okay, good Lord. That was already one of the hottest stretches I've ever seen a player on. I don't know. I can't remember the last time that happened like it was like um Danny Valencia's last time that happened but I don't remember Danny Valencia doing that Julio takes over this game to cap off the Royal Series win and it's it just everyone was like yeah good series win okay move on move on move on nobody ever talked about this series again it was so cursed I the thoughts would I, I don't even know if they would have won the last two games if they lost game two of that series. If they lost game two, I didn't even mention this. They hit four home runs in the same inning in that game and then promptly give up five the inning after. So what I, what I talked about. It just if they lost game two, it might have been all for naught. The the baseball gods in Kansas City would have been like, Nope, sorry, you're you're losing game three and game four. But they didn't. They didn't. They win the series and then you go to Houston cautiously optimistic you go to Houston and I'm not going to get as nitty-gritty about the Houston series they win a great great Bryce Miller start on Friday uh really good to see him have another good start in Houston uh, and hopefully getting a little bit more back on track from what we saw earlier in the year uh Julio goes four for five in that game he doesn't have a flawless game he actually gets out in this one unfortunately uh, but it's it, the the two runs the offense got the measly two runs, uh, one of them being a Julio dinger, the other one being a Mike Ford, na 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 Mike Ford dinger. Two uh, zero is all they needed. Bryce Miller goes six and third. Topa gets a fantastic hold. Andre Munoz gets a save. Bang, blueprint. Don't need to score that many runs when your pitching is that good. The next game, just an amazing game of baseball. They beat the Astros ten three. They beat their ass. On a Saturday game in Minute Maid Park, they beat the Astros' ass. Julio goes 4-for-6 in this game. This is when he broke the record. He goes 4-for-6 in this game, breaking a record. MLB record 17 hits in four games. I mean, what is what is there left to say? Uh, this I'll, I'll finish this game and then I'll talk about Julio. Uh, doing more also. Fantastic series against the the Astros. He had two home runs in this game specifically. He had four hits today. 
Uh, Dylan Moore's been mashing. Sam Haggerty had a home run in this game. Everyone was kind of eating. Cade Marlowe had some great at-bats. Tay Oscar had three hits. Everyone had a hit, at least one hit in this game. Uh, Jose Caballero made the Astros real angry. Uh, and to, to do this against Framber in Houston was a, a treat, an absolute treat. Demo hit his hit his home run in the his first home run off of Framber. Next pitch, Framber nails Jose Caballero right in the little shins. Clearly on purpose. I, I sometimes give pitchers benefit of the doubt, especially when I like them, like Framber Valdez, but that was clearly on purpose. And then Jose Caballero, he just looks at him. He puts up his arms like what why did you do that? Why did you hit me? I didn't hit the home run off you. You're just mad. The benches cleared really quickly. There wasn't even like shoves or anything. Uh, they panned a Dusty Baker who's getting held back, screaming at something. I'm still trying to figure out what Dusty Baker was screaming about. Not only was this entirely instigated by the Astros, it was entirely instigated by the Astros. Jose Caballero as much of a little thorn in the side of every other team uh, he's been this year, didn't do shit. He got hit on purpose, clearly. He looks at Framber and says, "Why? Like, what the fuck, man? Why did you do that? And then Framber's like, oh, yeah, you want to fight? And then Dusty Baker, bench is clear, Dusty Baker comes out there and starts screaming at something. Like, what are you screaming about? That Jose Caballero was a little uh, mad that Framber hit him on purpose, the pitch after Dylan Moore hit a home run? Dylan Moore did not bat flip. He does his bat drop. He does that every time he gets a hit. He didn't gloat around the bases. He didn't do a little stomp on the on the home plate like they got mad at Semyon for doing a few weeks ago because um, Martin Maldonado's a little bitch. Uh, I don't know what Dusty Maker was, bad, was mad about. And this is also not the first time this has happened. After Dylan Moore's Grand Slam in 2021 in Seattle, they hit a guy. Uh, last year in the playoffs, they they hit a guy on purpose on the Mariners too. They've done this repeatedly, and Dusty Baker is a legend of the game. But as Dusty Baker is an old school manager, that's just like yeah, hit him. It's I don't know if he told Framber him in this case, but I doubt he was mad about it. Framber's done this before. I just don't I don't get how anyone on the Astros was mad. I mean, they maybe they were just seething with rage or that they were getting stunted on at home by the Seattle Mariners. They're not used to that, I guess. That's a little foreign to them in the past five years. But that was so weird. And then Jose Caballero gets on first, steals second immediately, and then and then he 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 had third base stolen. Uh, but whoever was that bad, I don't remember, fouled the ball off, so he had to go back. Uh, but Jose Caballero clearly was like, okay, you want to hit me? You want to put me on? I'm going to do what I do best. He, he swipes second with ease. He's just he's getting under all of their skin. I, I can only imagine how Framber felt when Cavi stole second and looked right fucking at Framber, and Framber looked at him, and then he tried to steal third, and Framber looked back at him, and Cavi's like, what? You put me on, dog. Like, what do you what do you want me to do? Not try to have this come back to bite you in the ass. I just that was so dramatic. I don't know what the Astros. I don't know why the Astros do that so much. They've weirdly leaned into being the villain, but not even in a cool way. Like throwing at some dude's ankles after giving up a oppo tater to Dylan Moore is not a cool thing to do. 
uh, especially just losing the game like they were. Uh, but really refreshing to to beat the Astros like they just did in their home ballpark. Uh, what a series. What a series. They're clearly pissed. Uh, and everyone's pointing out that the end of the year is going to be chaos. They get uh, Houston is the second-to-last series of the year in Seattle. It's a three-game set. And I imagine that's going to mean something to the playoffs unless they go on a complete slide, either teams. But just felt good. Just felt good to beat the Astros like that. They uh, they first time they've won a season series against the Astros since 2018, uh, and also the first time they swept the Astros in Houston since 2018. Uh, just they won a, yeah they won that four game series earlier this year in Houston that hadn't been done in longer than 2018 I think they hadn't won a four game series in Houston in forever, uh, but really really good to see from the lads this weekend they clearly. They're playing really well. The offense is, is humming. Uh, they, they clearly have kicked it into gear, making a playoff push. Like there's there's a clear mentality change. They're they're still making mistakes, but I think there's there's a lot of like when they get on base and they yell at the dugout. There's just a lot of of good yelling going on, good camaraderie. But this dude, this dude Julio Rodriguez, man, are we kidding? What is this? This is what is what's there left to say about this guy? I talked about him last week because uh, he was already hitting so well in the month of July, and to start the month of August, he was hitting a lot more like himself. And then that Royals game, that third game of the series, he flipped the switch, and he goes on a historic run: seventeen hits in four games. He breaks that record, MLB record. He breaks a uh, Mariners record. I think was with consecutive hits. In like as many at bats, and it is probably the most torrid run I've ever seen a player on in my entire life. I like I hit streaks are cool, and I've seen plenty of hit streaks, but I don't know if I've seen a guy have this many hits. Obviously, it's historic, um, but some guys go on home run streaks, and that's almost cooler. But this is like insane he's raised his season numbers a tremendous amount he is hitting 278 now with a 337 OBP and 463 slug he's got an 800 OPS flat this is before today's game stats are added so I don't know exactly what it is now a 124 OPS plus he's still playing great defense he's still stealing bags he just keeps hitting he let off today's game with a double and is just clearly JP was out, and we were like, what are we going to do without JP? He's clearly the, the spiritual leader of the team on the field this year and off the field. On the field, who's going to step up? Answer, Julio Rodriguez. Awesome to see. It's the guy you, It's the guy de facto that would fall to him to step up as the leader on this team, uh, being the one with the highest ceiling of production, plus a guy everyone can follow in terms of baseball mentality, and how he plays the game, and just he's just electric. He's just pure electricity. I just love him, and what a streak! I, I genuinely can't believe I witnessed something as crazy as 17 hits in four games. Actually, just insane, and it couldn't have come in a better time. The <laughs> I feel like the guys around him are hitting better too because of it. Dom Canzone had a four-hit game today. That was amazing to see, Mister Calzone. He, 
I really just like him. I like his swing. I like his approach. I can't. I'm, I don't have any stats to point to, and I will drum up a lot of Statcast stats at the end of the season for a little player evaluation. But with just eye test, I just like his swing. I like his approach. I like when he makes contact. I just uh, he seems like a good good baseball player and a great game today, and has bought into to the clubhouse of the Seattle Mariners. But now, I'll talk about the bullpen. I'll talk about Matt Brash, specifically about Matt Brash. Uh, there's a lot of discourse this week. I mentioned it when I was going over the Royals. He blew two saves, uh, and people were like, wow, shouldn't have traded Seawald. Matt Brash sucks. Listen, it's not my problem that a lot of people don't understand how to use statistics to evaluate relievers but I wish more people did and I get the hate um but he's the perfect reliever I've tweeted it many times he was born he was put on this earth by whatever creator science I don't care he was put on this earth to be a high leverage reliever he's the perfect blend of good and evil he's got the nastiest shit uh, maybe the nastiest stuff I've ever seen, but just makes you so anxious. It's a Fernando Rodney type of existence. He makes you teeter on the edge of sanity and insanity. He he has those perfect high leverage reliever vibes. And at the end of the day, he also just gets stuff done. It's not it's not like he's a bad Fernando Rodney. You know there are. Fernando Rodney himself has had very, very good and bad versions of himself in many seasons. I mean, his first season with the Mariners was great. His second season with the Mariners that didn't end super well was pretty bad. We've seen it. But Matt Brash, I will not tolerate Matt Brash hate on this podcast. I simply won't. He is a very good reliever. I will tell you that right now. He's striking out 14.6 guys per nine. That's actually insane. His ERA is down to 3.4, which is pretty good. His expected ERA is 3.04. His FIP is 2.04, might I add. And he is the type of guy you want at the back of your bullpen. I think he's way better for this team than not. And a lot of people don't like him because he's a roller coaster and that's just how it be sometimes that's just how it goes but the funniest part of this week in the reliever discourse on twitter is people saying oh wow we could really use a closer referencing paul seawald and it's actually so funny that people seriously said that after watching both dominic canzone and Josh Rojas hit game-tying or go-ahead home runs to even give the team a position to get a save, to even give Matt Brash an opportunity to blow the save. The two guys that you traded for at the big league level for Paul Seawald would have given Paul Seawald the save opportunity, but wouldn't because they wouldn't be on the team without the Seawald trade. You see where I'm going this. You talk, You can talk about it in circles all you want. The shit people tweet's crazy. I, I, especially about bullpen stuff, because if it doesn't go correct, it's on Scott. If it goes correct, it's great, because winning fixes everything. I've said that. If it doesn't go 
if it doesn't go right, it's Scott's fault. Sometimes this week specifically, there was a, there was some unsavory bullpen management, like not using Taylor Saucedo against the Royals when he probably should have because he was available. But I don't like to talk about that very much because it's just it's not lazy. It's just managing a bullpen is supremely difficult. We don't know the type of strain they want to put on these guys' arms. We don't know how those guys are feeling day to day. Uh, the fact that people just knee-jerkly blame Scott when anything goes wrong is so funny, especially because I've talked about it before. What does an MLB manager even do? Nobody knows. This, blame the whole org. Like, stop blaming the man Scott Service himself, okay? I, I'm done. I'm done having people just blame Scott when things go wrong. Because I don't even think he's the right one to blame. He has some input, but it's a whole organizational strategy that goes into doing this shit. And Matt Brush blows a save, and you and you either blame Scott Service for how he used the bullpen that day, or you're like, man, Paul Seawald would have closed that game out, yeah? Paul Seawald also gives up runs sometimes. I It's just so funny. I hated that this week. I didn't really participate in any of that. Because it's just terrible. I hate that discourse on Twitter. And it's also because I like Scott. And I just don't... I also just... Yeah, I don't think managers are that important. At all. <laughs> They're kind kind of important. But the reason why I like Scott... Is because after... Um, after the, the win against the Royals on Tuesday... When they had all those home runs and then blew the lead and then came back to win. He had the quote after the game that said, we can screw some shit up, but we don't give up. And that's why I love Scott. Cause he, he's pretty frank about stuff like that. Like, I think he's very much, he's, he's very much straight into the point when you're, you're talking about stupid baseball stuff that happens. Like he's been in the game long enough to know Baseball is dumb. Whatever decision they make as an organization to put a guy in at a certain spot, to pinch run a guy, to pinch hit a guy, to put out a lineup card, to formulate a game strategy with pitchers, at the end of the day, baseball's stupid. Shit goes wrong when you do everything right. Shit goes right if you do everything wrong sometimes. It's just baseball. And he's very much of that mindset. And I very much appreciate it. I think he's... A hilarious manager. He has awesome quotes, but I just, I just can't with the, with the should have put this guy in, shouldn't have put that guy in, shouldn't have traded Paul Seawald. The Seawald stuff was the funniest because it came directly after, as I said, Rojas and Canzone tied the game. Guys who were not on the team and were on the team because of Seawald being traded. That was the funniest one. I just. I think a couple people tweeted it as a joke, but some people it was like a curb your enthusiasm look at the camera with the music moment, like really very on the nose that you're tweeting that. It's just come on. I I'm done. I'm if you if you watch a baseball game and you find yourself tweeting that the manager made a mistake putting that guy in after the reliever already gives up runs, just stop. Stop tweeting. Just don't do it. No point. It doesn't serve any purpose at all but that i'm done matt brash i'm willing to say i'll be so bold as to say matt brash good good pitcher but i'm done with bullpen talk absolutely not i won't be having it but now 
I'm done talking about the Mariners. There's not much else to say. They've won six games in a row. They're rolling. They are just playing good ball. The guys have been buzzing. Uh, Julio is is has been an MVP candidate since July. He he's ascending. I think he he's really not coming into his own per se, but clearly maturing as a baseball player, and it's really good to see. Uh, I think he's no longer like the guy on the team who has the most potential talent, the most superstardom. Uh, I think he's the guy on the team who will produce the most going forward, which it's crazy to say. I mean, we were all doubting him a little bit in June specifically when he was hitting his huge slump. It was like, clearly this guy's fine. Some people wanted him off the team or sent down to AAA, but those are very unserious uh, people who don't know ball. People like myself who actually understand uh, baseball. I was saying all year, he's going to be fine. It's just he was the player that like, oh, he could be this, he could be that. We're seeing what he is now. I think he's maturing every day as a baseball player. Uh, The way he goes about playing baseball, applying himself, uh, learning, smiling when he makes a mistake. People were mad about that this week. Just, Just like, why? Who cares if he's smiling when he gets picked off? You can laugh at your mistakes at your job. It's fine. It clearly is. A, <laughs> that's part of what makes him who he is. And so I'm not going to question how he reacts to things. I think I just, he's just maturing as a player, and it's awesome to see him flourish again uh, in the limelight the past week of, of superstardom because he is that type of player. But now I'm done talking about the Mariners. I will, I'll go over the schedule briefly right before I exit this one. But I do want to check in with a former Mariner. It's former Mariner check-in alert. This guy, until the other day, was leading the league uh, pitching-wise in Fangraph's war since the All-Star break. But now he's second, only to Freddy Peralta. It's our man Yusei Kikuchi. He has 1.4 F war since the All-Star break. His stats since the All-Star break read 35 innings, 5, oh God, not 5, 2 and 1 in those starts. He has a 1.29 ERA with a 2.15 FIP in that time. He's striking out about 9 guys per 9, walking 2 guys per 9. He has just looked pretty good. He's just looked great since the All-Star break. He's had a very solid year. Uh, honestly, if it wasn't, I mean, he's doing it for the Blue Jays, which is, you know, maybe our biggest rival right now outside of the AL West. Definitely our biggest rival outside of the AL West. It's nice to see him doing this, though, just for him. Always really liked him. He wasn't even that bad for the Mariners, really. He wasn't quite as number three in the rotation guy that maybe they were expecting him to be. Uh, but his last year with the team, he was fine. He, he was a fine pitcher. And he goes to Toronto in 2022 dreadful dreadful year worse i would say worst year of his career but his first year with the mariners was not good that was also the juice ball era so i'm not going to fault him for that Uh, and then this year he comes out he's thrown 128 innings this year with a 3.44 era Uh, just he's just been a good pitcher his his control has really improved that's always been his issue his control has improved, and he's just throwing his fastball and slider more often. Uh, he's decided to do the thing that a lot of pitchers do and throw your two best pitches a lot more than your other ones, and it's clearly working out. I still think he probably needs another pitch if he wants to stick as a starter long term, but really good to see him 
uh, kind of putting it together from a control standpoint. Still not perfect, but definitely an improvement. Uh, and not I didn't expect to see his name at the top of the leaderboard since the All-Star break, but it's really delightful to see that. Uh, and that is my former Mariner update. I just wanted to highlight Yusei Kikuchi. I just wanted to get some good Yusei Kikuchi vibes out there in the universe. But now I'm going to talk a little bit about the Rays, a uh, wildcard opponent for the Seattle Mariners. A team that started out as the absolute hottest team in baseball are now they're second in the ALE still. They're two and a half back of the Baltimore Orioles. They're still first in the wild card. They're up five games in the wild card. They're still a good baseball team, but wow, how they have fallen fairly significantly since that start. Uh the first and second half splits are not as drastic as you'd think. Their first half, 58 and 35. Their second half, 17 and 16. Really not great. And you look at it like month by month. They would go 1 and 0 in March. <laughs> they go 22 and 6 in April. And then May, 17 and 12. June, 17 and 10. July, 8 and 16. And then August so far, they're 10 and 7. So they've been a fairly mediocre team since their insane start. So basically since May, they've, you know, they've been a, a above average team, not like an amazing team. But Shane McClanahan was just announced he's getting surgery. He's going to be out for this year, probably next year. Their pitching staff has been decimated by injuries this year. Uh, and a lot of the guys on their offense who were surging to start the year have kind of fallen back down to earth. We knew some of them would. All, basically all of them have at a pretty rapid pace. Uh, and that would that in itself, all of that, losing the lead on the division, all of that would still be bad. Losing your best pitcher, having all your pitchers hurt, all of that's bad. All of that's very bad for your baseball team. And then the Wander Franco news breaks this week. I'm not really going to talk about it. It's, it's still an ongoing investigation, but it's pretty sick if that is true. It's trending towards being true, but... Is it's disgusting, it's deplorable to say the least, and that is just another thing that's happened to this team. You lose Wander Franco, uh, who was having a fantastic year on the field for you, and now he's out indefinitely, maybe forever. If it's if it's true, definitely forever. I really hope for the sake of uh, potentially a fourteen year old girl or more minors, that it's not true. I really hope it's not true. Uh, but, it, I don't know, trending in the wrong direction. And that is just another thing that's bad happening to the Rays. So they lose him, and they're not reeling, but they're in a tough spot. They're in a very tough spot, because they could just limp into the playoffs at very, very low morale, not playing super well. And obviously, that you can still put together a playoff run, but this team is just reeling. Uh, and I've been wanting to talk about it for a while, and then the Wander news broke, and it felt like the time to just say, danger for this team. Danger, danger. And it uh, it means a little bit for the Mariners. I mean, if they continue sliding, that wildcard race gets a little bit uh, closer at the top. It doesn't look like Baltimore is going to especially start slowing down. Uh, but, man, how the mighty have fallen. But that's it for the Rays. Now, a quick B-Ref Player of the Week to lighten our spirits after talking about the Tampa Bay Rays. This particular player made his debut in 1888. 
He was born in 1867, died in 1912. His name is Clarence Lemuel Childs, nickname Cupid. Cupid Childs. Yeah, I said it. Cupid Childs. Now, Cupid Childs accumulated 44.4 war in his career. Uh, really good hitter at the plate, an on-base machine, it seems. Uh, had a, had a, just a very good career, played on some of the greatest named teams of all time, which was most teams pre-modern era. He uh, played 13 seasons. He played for the Philadelphia Quakers, the Cleveland Spiders, the St. Louis Perfectos, and rounding out his career with the Chicago Orphans. Now, why was he nicknamed Cupid? He, during his career... Much was what much was made about his pudgy appearance. Apparently, he was five eight. He weighed one hundred eighty five pounds, and that led to the nickname of Cupid, as he was said to resemble a cherub. <laughs> they just don't. They don't do nicknames like they used to, man. They just don't. What a tr- just a fantastic nickname. Just oh, you're pudgy and short. Kind of look like a cherub, Cupid Childs. That's your name now. Hilarious. Uh, but Childs, he's a good baseball player, man. He's, he was among the top 10 players in the league in walks every season from 1890 to 1900. Uh, some fun piece of lore with him. He led the league in doubles and extra base hits in 1890. And then this is where things really get fun. In May 1900, Childs was attempting a double play against the Pittsburgh Pirates when Pirates player manager Fred Clark, which... I should do a segment on him. He's an absolute player-manager legend. Uh, slid into him. Uh, they had a little confrontation on the field. And then after the game, Childs spotted Clark at a train station. And he charged him and beat the shit out of Fred Clark. And it was it sued in a fist fight. And the next day, fans in Pittsburgh showed up in droves. Triple the average Monday attendance hoping to see them fight on the field. Uh, but the game was played without incident. So they got in a confrontation on the field, ran into each other at the train station. Uh, Cupid beat the shit out of Fred Clark at the train station, and then they played again the next day, and it was fine. Uh, just fantastic. There's not much else uh, besides that stuff for Cupid Childs, uh, but he... His playing time fell off in 1901 as, um, weirdly enough, Pete Childs, which they're not related, played more of the team's games at second base. So, (laughs) the Chicago Orphans replaced Cupid Childs at second base with Pete Childs in 1901 as they phased out Cupid Childs' playing time in the bigs. Childs, Pete Childs and Cupid Childs, not related. Were there just a lot of people in America back then with the last name Childs? That is, that was one of the weirder things I've read. I that's such a weird coincidence. But Childs retired. Uh, he got three oh six career hitter with a four sixteen on base percentage, nine hundred ninety one walks, and two hundred sixty nine stolen bases. I uh, played more than fourteen hundred games as a second baseman. We salute you, Cupid Childs. He developed cirrhosis and nephritis, which sounds like a d- disease that we've probably uh eradicated seems like an early 1900s disease i'll say that with no research done uh but he died in 1912 at the age of 45 uh but had a great career uh so we salute you 
Cupid Childs, we salute you. And that is the Baseball Reference Player of the Week. And now we're winding down. And as always, I will look into the Mariners' schedule going into this week, as well as the Fangraphs' playoff odds. Where do the Mariners stand in the Fangraphs' playoff odds? They are at... 42.7 42.7 to clinch the wild card, 58.4 to make the playoffs. They're up to 15.7% to win the division, which is real spicy and really getting my hopes up to be hurt. Uh, and I'm sure they will be hurt, but the lads are buzzing right now. They're playing fantastic ball. The vibes are chaotic, but in a great way. Just fantastic stuff is going on. Tough Emerson Hancock news today, but they get Brian Wu back this week. And uh, things are just in a good place right now uh, with a a fairly easy schedule the next few weeks, which in baseball, sometimes it's a death sentence. You can't pocket watch other teams when you're about to play them. Like we saw with the Royals, they played us so closely. We could have easily gotten swept in that series. It was really close. You, You can't play down at the competition in baseball. Everyone's trying to win. And you always lose to bad teams. It doesn't matter how good you're playing, how good your team is. You're always going to lose to a bad team. But they have the White Sox. If you're listening to this on Monday when it comes out today in Chicago, a three-game set, off day on Thursday, and then the Royals again. The Royals for a three-game set next weekend come to Seattle, and let's hope it goes... I, I mean, the series went fine last time, but let's just hope it's less stressful than last series. I really hope. I have a feeling it's not going to be less stressful, but White Sox and Royals, man, after going on a six-game win streak, sweeping the Astros, I think they're going to need to take five of six of those games. And who's to say they won't? Who's to say they won't? Castillo gets the rock tomorrow. I think he's going to need to go seven because every pitcher pitched uh, in on Sunday's game today, depending on when you're listening to this, yesterday, two days ago, whatever. I... I think he's going to need to go seven. I hope he can. I hope he can. But that's it. I got nothing else for you. If you're listening this far, as always, mega appreciate it. If you want to, rate and review. Write a memoir to Julio Rodriguez in the review if you want to. Uh, I would if I was reviewing this podcast. That's what I'd be doing. But appreciate the listen and As always, have a good rest of your week. We hope and pray Julio Rodriguez continues to just refuses to have a hitless game and hoping Hammerson Hancock's injury is not too bad. But have a good rest of your week, everyone. And, of course, go Mariners.